Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you again this morning, and I invite you, if you haven't already, to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be there this morning to look at this rich passage, maybe a familiar passage to so many, inviting us to pause and ask, seek, and knock to approach the Lord with that expectant attitude. And it's important because as we reach the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's good to look back, and as we often do, like if we visit the mountains, if we reach the mountaintop, we want to look back and see where we've come from. And I think that will give us some insight into why Jesus is saying what he's saying this morning. Right? If you stand on the mount and you look back, you see that Jesus has painted a picture of a beautiful life, one that's rich, one that is fulfilling, one that's whole, one that is a picture of grace to other people, that's pure in heart, that hunger and thirsts after God. It's actually a picture of people who are reconciling people with other people, who are peacemakers in their homes and workplaces and in the world. It's a, it's a picture of people who are putting away anger and instead reconciling with others, putting away hatred for love, getting rid of hypocrisy to actually be real people around other people, to do away with a hypercritical spirit so that you can actually love people and address them in their deepest needs. From the mountaintop, we see this beautiful view and it, a, a, a person who is eager to jump into that life can do so one of two ways. The first way, they can just jump in and say, man, that's good. That is beautiful. And I want to live that way. And they set out to do so, but very quickly find that they are insufficient for those things. The second way is what gives insight into this text this morning. You see, Jesus is not just randomly suggesting a few things to do in the Christian life as we near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, he's not just taking a bunch of disparate, unconnected topics and putting them at the end just to kind of cover all his bases. Now, what did he just speak about in Matthew chapter 7? It's the difficult situation where you know somebody else is in the wrong but you also know that you yourself have a very critical spirit and you don't like that other person very much. What do you do when you realize you don't know the difference between a person who needs to hear the gospel and a dog? What happens when you have precious truths to share but you don't want to throw it in front of a pig? What is a pig? Jesus turns and he tells us, ask, seek, Knock on heaven's door, and you will receive, you will find, it will be open to you. You see, I think the key to this text is not to see it as a blank check to get whatever we want from God as much as direction for what to do with this life that he's presenting. There is a major theme that I see here this morning in this overall extremely positive text 
which I hope that you will walk away from this morning encouraged by what the Lord says. The major theme that I see is this. Jesus calls on us to not pull back in our growth, to not pull back in our relationship with him, discouraged in the lack of growth we see in ourselves. But he calls on us to persevere in prayer. And that's my message this morning, persevering in prayer. What do we need to do with this good life that we are seeing spelled out for us by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? We are, according to Jesus, to persevere in prayer and not give up. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the power in prayer, what often is our problems in prayer, and finally, persevering in prayer, what that looks like, how we can go about doing that. We're going to wrap up our time this morning with some time of focused prayer and the Lord's Supper. And so we're heading into that. And as we do, I want to just say how thankful I am for this text of Scripture. When I saw that I was to preach it, I I thought certainly somebody else should do this. I'm not an expert on prayer. (laughs) It's, It's better if somebody else takes this one and I'll learn from them. But the Lord has used it as he wants to use the word in your life this morning not to give you a pass and to say, well, I'm not very good at prayer. And it's not for you to think about all the ways that you fail at prayer, but to once again know that prayer is a gift to you and that he calls on you to take advantage of this precious gift in your life with him. Be refreshed as we think, first of all, about power in prayer. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me once again. Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. These two verses just give a picture to me of the power in prayer. Here's what we learn as we look at this. First of all, I see it this way. Prayer is a great gift. It's a powerful way that we can take part in the work of God. We can say this from the outset. Jesus has given us direct access to his Father, the ruler of the whole universe. There's a direct line for God's people that has been opened to God himself through Jesus, his blood, his sacrifice. And if you don't view prayer as a great gift, then renew your mind this morning. If you think of it only as a duty, only as something that you do, that maybe isn't completely necessary for your life, this is the renewal of your mind this morning. Prayer is powerful, and prayer is a great gift to you and me. We see it as a burden, but Jesus has given it to lift our burdens, to alleviate them. Secondly, prayer is powerful because it's a means to accomplish God's will. It's a means to accomplish God's will. I'll talk more about this when we talk about the problems in prayer here in a moment, but this passage has often been presented by false prophets as an ask anything you want of God and you are sure to get it if you just have enough faith. 
But this passage is not a blank check or a bottle that you rub and God the genie comes out and grants your wishes. That's not what this is about. No, prayer must be seen as the powerful means of accomplishing God's will. Now, on the one hand, this seems crazy because God is in the heavens, the psalm tells us, and he does whatever he pleases. He doesn't need you and me. But on the other hand, he has given us a means by which we accomplish his will, and that's prayer. Prayer is the means by which God gets his work done in this world. There's a mystery there. But this is what it says in 1 John 5, 13 and 14. That verse says this. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's his purpose in writing 1 John. But then he says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is a key to understanding Matthew 7, 7 to 11, that when we pray according to God's will, when we ask, seek, and knock according to God's will, he hears us and he answers those prayers. Now, we have to clear up some of the things that maybe are not God's will. I'll try to do that along the way, but that's not my main purpose this morning. What do I mean in this main idea here is that God's will is accomplished when you and I pray. It doesn't mean that God is up in the heavens with his hands kind of bound until we get the prayers right. I do remember that it says of the Holy Spirit that when we don't know what to pray, when our hearts are kind of mumbling and we don't know the words to convey to God that are pleasing to him. Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us according to the will of God. I want you to see that God loves you so much that even when your prayers don't make any sense, he still wraps you up in his will because he wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to talk to him and he wants you to experience the joy of what it means to see his kingdom spread in this world. And the Holy Spirit aids you in that every step of the way. Now, our desire is to align with God, the Holy Spirit, so that our prayers continue to grow as a reflection of what God has said in his word. God always answers those prayers which reflect his will as spelled out in the Bible. More on that in a moment. Another thing that shows me that prayer is powerful is that prayer is for everyone. The text tells us that back in Matthew 7, verse 8. It says, for everyone who asks and seeks and knocks will get an answer. Now, this is something that you need to think through for just a minute. The everyone that Jesus is referencing here is the, not the crowd that's gathered around him, it's the group of disciples who have committed themselves to him. Now, Jesus isn't just throwing out this, this broad appeal to pray, kind of like, you know, you might have an unbelieving friend. Maybe you here today are 
a non-Christian, you would say, well, I'm here today because someone brought me here. I'm curious about what you do. And you're talking about prayer. Well, I pray. Well, prayer is a term that's thrown around a lot. And sometimes people say, well, I'll pray, or I do pray, but they don't really know to whom they are praying. Right? A Christian has been saved by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection to life so that they are alive to God the Father and now have a relationship with him. They're now saved. They're secure in the hands of God. And they now have a relationship where they can say anything to God that's on their hearts and they know God loves them. But here is where I give encouragement to those of you who are following Jesus today. I'd say first to those who may not know Jesus, the prayer that God will answer for you if you are, are not a Christian here today, and the prayer that we pray for you is that you will ask him to save you on the basis of Jesus' death for you. Now, God will answer that prayer for anyone who asks from their heart, sincerely desiring to be saved. God will save you. He will answer that prayer. Now, for everyone who has received Jesus, who, who has become a believer, this promise is for you. And you may say, you know, like, I've been in places where I hear people pray, and they just seem to have a direct line to God. Me? I just mumble and stumble, and I don't quite know how to communicate to him. This reminds me of Jesus when his disciples came to him after a long night of when Jesus was praying, and they came up to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples. I'm so encouraged that Jesus didn't say to them, guys, come on. I've just been praying all night. If you'd been here with me, you would have learned some tips by now. And how long are you going to continue this ignorance and this stumbling around in your prayer life? Jesus did not say that. What did he say? He taught them the Lord's Prayer. We studied that together months ago now. I was here and taught that here in the hub. I'm just going to put it back on the screen. I'd like you to read it with me, just as a reminder of the prayer that Jesus gave us for everyone to pray regularly. It's Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Everyone can pray. Everyone has access. Who has come to Jesus Christ for salvation to God the Father has access right now to God. The pattern for prayer has been given to us. Each of us has needs. Each of us have a mighty God to whom we can cry out to and appeal to for anything, but mostly to pray that his kingdom and his will be done in this earth right now and that it continues to grow in us, that we have our needs met, daily bread, but likewise spiritual needs, forgiveness, and the readiness to forgive people who have wronged us, and protection from evil. When temptations come to pray to God, God, deliver me. 
help me. Right? This is the pattern to pray. Are you persistent in it? Because everyone can pray. Every one of God's children has access to God. Everyone will be heard by God. And that's the final point. God will answer your prayer. God will answer your prayer. Now, that answer is not always what you might expect. And that leads into the second major point this morning because we do run into problems when we pray. What are the problems? What, what do we see? Well, sometimes we don't get what we pray for, right? As I mentioned earlier, some people interpret this to mean that you get anything and everything you ask God for if you have enough faith, whether that be a forgiving spirit or a million-dollar home. But I think you can see from the entire sermon that Jesus is not preaching for us to seek a certain lifestyle as an expression of his kingdom. As a matter of fact, the lifestyle that he preaches is countercultural to our world's version of a good lifestyle. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. You see, Jesus is presenting a lifestyle that is countercultural to this world's lifestyle. Sometimes you and I don't get what we pray for. But you can still see that verses 11, 7 through 11 are remarkably hopeful and true. It says plainly that what you ask for or when you ask, you receive. And when you seek, you'll find. And when you knock, the door will be open to you. Whenever we hear a yes and receive an answer to a prayer, that shows the kindness and the graciousness of our God. Yet it's still clear to me that I don't get everything I pray for. Primarily, I'm learning again and again that prayer is first and foremost for the glory of God, where he has people who are brought back to him and talking to him again. In the garden, the people ran away from God after they sinned and tried to hide from God so that he would not come and talk with them anymore. But God still approached them. God called them out. God asked them to come back so that he could talk with them again. But still the relationship was broken. What Jesus has done is to make it possible for us to come back into the presence of God without shame so that we can boldly come, Hebrews tells us, into the throne room of God and present our needs and to receive help in a time of need. And that's the second thing that prayer is for. Even though we don't get everything we ask for, God still knows that we have needs and promises to meet those needs and prayer is secondarily for us. It's first for God and his glory, but it's also for us and for our needs. But there's another thing that sometimes happens and that's this, that we pray for the wrong things. You and I can pray for the wrong things. This can discourage us because as James chapter four, verses two and three says, you do not have because you do not ask. That's true. Sometimes the problem is not that we ask for the wrong thing. Sometimes we don't even ask. Can you acknowledge that in your own life this morning? That there have been times when 
Maybe a relationship was broken and you didn't want the relationship to be restored and you certainly didn't pray about it. You didn't ask for it and so the relationship wasn't restored. Or maybe you had a need and you thought, well, you know, I have money, I have a job. I don't need to pray about daily bread or don't need to pray about provisions. I don't need to pray about getting out of debt. I just need to work harder. You know, there are some times when you and I don't have the things that God is ready to give because we just simply don't ask. But further in James chapter 4, it says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And the fact is, we often pray for the wrong things. You know, I think about this whenever there's some conflict in my home. Maybe one of my kids, I'm not going to use any specific examples, you know, protecting the guilty, right? We're going to do, though, a general kind of overview, all right? So let's just say there's, there's a problem, and I'm going to put myself as the star of the problem, all right? I've got an issue with somebody else. I don't like what they said. They're basically just encroaching upon my rights in my moment when I want some peace. Now, I have often been guilty of throwing up a quick prayer to God. God, will you just shut that person up? Or will you just help them to realize I just need some peace? You know, there are ways that I've prayed where I recognize, man, that is just, that's not helpful. That's not right. And God doesn't bring the peace. But what often happens, though, when I learn from that and I learn where I have been selfish, self-seeking, I can go to God and say, God, my spirit has not been right. Please forgive me and help me. I mean, I don't want there to be conflict in my home, but I've contributed to it. Please change me. And that's helped my attitude. And that's actually, in a back, kind of a backdoor way, brought about peace. And that's the genuine way to do it. Where our hearts align with God's will. And that's going back even to the, the Lord's prayer. Lord, help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. Lord, help me to have an attitude that realizes how much I've been forgiven so that I can then forgive other people or seek their forgiveness. See, there are things that we pray for that are just wrong things. And then other times, the bigger problem might be that we just fail to pray, thinking that it's either irrelevant or ineffectual. I think this is often the problem for me is that I learn a lot about the Bible, but then I don't respond in prayer because I think that the knowledge I get from the Bible and about the Bible, from Jesus, about Jesus, is all I really need. And I can just build up the knowledge so that I know what to do. But that's like approach one to the Sermon on the Mount. That's like hearing good things and saying, yeah, I've got it in here now, now I'll just do it. What Jesus is saying that it takes concerted effort in our prayer lives to ask, to seek, and to knock, to receive answers from our Lord. He certainly won't answer when we don't even ask. 
There are certain things that will not happen in your spiritual life and in my spiritual life until we pray. So in the third point, how can we persevere in prayer? Let's get into these words, ask, seek, and knock, to explore what they mean. I want you to see that these words, ask, seek, and knock, describe personal responsibilities that you and I have. These are personal responsibilities. All right? You can't leave the, the sermon time today and conclude, well, you know, the Bible says all I have to do is ask, seek, and knock. I'm good. No, you actually have to ask, seek, and knock. That's your responsibility. That's what you are responsible before the Lord to do. Ask conveys humility. Like, if I ask someone how to do something, what does that say about me? I don't know how to do it yet. If I ask someone for help, that means I'm not capable of doing it, or I don't have enough strength, or I just don't know how. The same is true when we ask God for help. It conveys the right understanding that you have about yourself and that I have about myself. It's an understanding that I am needy. I am needy before the Lord. And to come to him in prayer and to say, Lord, I need you. I need you today. And it may be like this. Maybe you don't feel that you need the Lord. Maybe you think life is going just fine. Then pray this. Lord, I don't feel that I need you. I know that that's not right. Help me to feel my need of you. Help me to know you better. Make yourself known to me. Make me to know you so that I bow in humility before you and I learn what to ask you for. And I do so in humility. You know, we, we need to remember that God has created us not to be independent, but to depend on him. I read in the Psalms this week that God takes care of all creation. He says, when he opens his hand, the deer and the lions rejoice and are happy. And when he closes his hand, they are dismayed. And they, they die. Right? We are just as vulnerable and just as needy. I think our society has kind of lulled us into a complacency that the systems are in place, everything's working just fine, and that we don't really need God. We need him to save us, but, you know, we're making it work. We're making life work. We're propping up the church. We're doing all the good works. We're doing the giving. But if we would realize that the reason that we are in such a secure place is that God has his hands open right now. And he's giving. Pray, God, help me to awaken to an understanding of your, of your nature, your gifts, and to be grateful, you know, to pray for that. And these verbs are not just one-time things. Ask, seek, and knock are called present imperatives. Maybe you've heard this before, or it's in the notes of your study Bible. What does that mean, present imperative? It means that you do it like this. You keep on asking, you keep on seeking, 
and you keep on knocking and you do it again and again and again. Seek conveys a personal responsibility to take the next step, right? You've asked God in humility for something, but this goes beyond mere asking to position yourself in places and with people who can help you grow in that area. You know, this week I was reading Mark's gospel. It's the beginning of the year. You know, I, I'm viewing this, this message on prayer in many ways like we do any New Year's resolution to read the Bible more or to pray more. You know, I'm reading the Bible. I've renewed that. I need to be persistent in that. That's a struggle for me at times, to be persistent in the daily Bible reading all year long. I love January because I can restart it all. I was in Mark 4 this week, and I read about Jesus' various parables. In Mark 4, he's telling lots of parables. He starts with the parable of the soils. And then it gets down to verses 33 and 34, and it says this, With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. When I read that, at first, I was a little confused because I thought, Lord, why don't you just explain everything to everybody so that they can know? Why don't you just make it absolutely clear so that anybody in the crowd can hear it and know exactly what you're talking about? Why use parables? But then I lined it up with what I was learning in Matthew 7 when Jesus says, you actually are responsible to seek. What were the disciples doing? They were hearing Jesus but then they had committed themselves to him. And they got closer. It's kind of like to ask, you're at the threshold. And to seek, you go further in. The disciples went further in to understand better what Jesus was talking about. And so my thinking was changed. In the initial thought, I thought, well, Lord, why did you not just make everything so plain to people the first time around? But then I thought this. No, you did make it plain, but there was a circle for that. And your disciples heard everything. The better thing to do is to get in that circle, to get closer. You see, you and your prayer life may be in a place where you're asking God for help about something tough in your life. Maybe it's a temptation that you just can't overcome. Maybe you're asking them, well, God, get me out of this place of temptation. Or God, please don't let this temptation overcome me. Don't allow this to overwhelm me again. But if you're seeking, you're not going to stay in places where the temptation can more easily get you and where you are more susceptible to it. You're not going to play the game where you've got one foot in that and one foot with God. Seeking means you're going to go out to where Jesus is and you're going to stay with him and you're going to keep seeking him and you're not going to take no for an answer. Now, I love stories in the scripture where people come to Jesus and it seems like they've kind of been pushed aside, but no, they keep pushing forward. There's that story about the woman who comes and she's a Gentile and Jesus is in a context where he's with some Jews and she asks, Lord, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you save? Can you provide? And Jesus says, it's not good to give the dogs what is fit for the children. And the woman responds to him, you may recall, Lord, even the dogs take advantage of some of the crumbs from the kids that fall under the table. And Jesus blesses her. Why? 
because she said the right words. No, she had this attitude in prayer. She persisted. She came. And this is what people a generation or two would call, as they thought about this issue, suing the Lord. Now, that word is wrong if you're thinking that it means taking the Lord to court and trying to get as much from him as you can. Sue has another meaning that was used 150 years ago. It means this, to appeal, to plead in a longing way. And certain songs, they would say, have you sued the Lord for this today? It means, have you appealed to him? Have you, have you asked him? Have you longingly pleaded with him for what he said he would provide you? Right? If you are caught in any temptation today and you say, well, I've prayed about it. Well, have you taken a hold of the Lord's robes and said, I won't go until you bless me? Have you sat where he is under the table, so to speak, and to say, Lord, I don't deserve to be here, but even people who don't deserve to be here get the advantage of some crumbs that might fall. If that's all I can get, then will you please give me that? And the Lord says, I will give you that and more. Will you seek and keep on seeking? He says, knock, knock. This is the persistence, and all of these things convey persistence. And I want you to understand, God's door isn't locked on his children. But certain things are closed to you until you knock. And when you knock, it will be opened. I remember this story in Luke 18. It'll be up on the screens, verses 1 through 8. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is the reason why Jesus is going to tell this particular parable. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, just so you know, God isn't like that to you. All right, that's not why I chose to insert this parable here. What's the point? The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Then the Lord asks, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That faith that he's mentioning there is this faith to continue knocking on heaven's door to ask God for justice, for things to be right, and to not give up when we see that this world is still careening out of control. Do we truly believe that God is in control? Then don't just say that. Appeal to heaven. Knock on his door. God, will you bring justice down here? Will you make things right? Please, God, come and make things right. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. You know, this kind of prayer is what God's elect people pray. They knock and knock and knock. And the point here is not that God is like this unjust judge who's asleep in heaven with his door closed, and if you just knock, 
knock, knock. One of my children wanted in a door this morning and kept, when they didn't get in, they just kept going like this. And I thought of this sermon and I thought, no, I can't, stop. Just don't do that anymore. You know, God's not like that. God's not like, if, you're, if I'm like this, knocking on his door, it's not like, Joe, will you just stop it? That's not God. And the point of this text is not that God is fed up with you. The point is that God is saying, come, come up, come into my presence, come further in. And when you knock, I will answer. When you are faithful to pray, and when you don't give up, I'll be there for you. You know, Jesus is not saying our God is unjust. His point is, where the unjust judge barely responded just because he was annoyed with the woman, how much greater is God who hears the cries of millions of his people and will answer their prayer speedily? This is God. It's an argument from the lesser, the evil, to the greater and the glorious. And that's the point that we get to towards the end. Look at the end. It says, verse 9, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? There's that argument Again, that Jesus loves to use. Consider something that's lesser and even wrong and then think of something greater and glorious about our God. The lesser is this. You and I who are dads here this morning, Jesus looks at us and says, you who are evil. He doesn't say that about himself. He doesn't say we who are evil. Jesus is not evil. But he looks at us who are dads and he says, you who are still flawed, who are broken by sin, who have troubles in relationships, who have really messed things up in your families, even you guys will still treat your kids with kindness. If your kids need bread, you're not going to give them a stone. Now, it's interesting, in Galilee, there were certain rocks that looked like the bread that the people made. And as a joke, you could give them a, a rock and, and they might take a bite and break a tooth. You know, Jesus, again, is using humor. There were eels that looked like fish that were more like snakes and dangerous in Galilee. And Jesus was saying, you dads are not going to give your kids a poisonous snake and tell them it's a fish. You're not going to do that. He said, you who are evil know how to give good gifts for your children. How much more will your heavenly father Give good gifts to those who ask him. In Luke's gospel, as Jesus tells us, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what does it mean? Are, are we to pray to God for things? Well, yes, we are. But in giving us what God gives us, what is the best thing he can give us? The best thing that God can give us is himself. If we have God, then all the problems we face, like we sang about those this morning, Lord, teach me to abide. If we abide 
if we know that God is with us, if I am in him and he is in me, then the problems that I face are going to be put in the right perspective. And it could be that if I know for certain that God is with me and I have an experience of that, that through prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, I've received, God can transform me to go back into those hard situations and to be an agent of salt and light like Jesus says, to be a person who's forgiving, to be a person who is a blessing to other people. These are the things that we are called to. When I was in seminary, I attended a church that had excellent preaching, but the songs were admittedly stuck in a previous era. The tunes were often quite dated, but nevertheless, the words were convicting oftentimes and stuck with me. And one time, my seminary roommate and I were in a service, and the song leader sang this song called, Did You Think to Pray? And the first verse says this. This is like from the time of Spurgeon, so some of the words are a little dated. It says, Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? In the name of Christ our Savior, did you sue? There is that word again. Did you appeal? Did you plead for loving favor as a shield today? The chorus would go, Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Did you think to pray was on our door for months after that evening service. My roommate went home and he made his own little sign and hung it on the back of our door. And all it asked was that question, did you think to pray? And as I conclude this morning and we transition into a time of focused prayer in the Lord's Supper, I want to ask if you will make that commitment to pray and to keep praying. I'm going to guide you in a time of prayer now. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come back up. If you need a cup, in just a few minutes we'll be observing the Lord's Supper together. So if you need help getting that, someone can come by perhaps and help you or they're available right outside of the door. We'd like for you to be able to participate if you did not receive a communion cup already. But here's what I'd like to do before we partake of the cup. I'd like for each of you to bow your heads. I want to give you a moment, a couple of minutes, to pray in response to some prompts that I ask you to consider before the Lord. This is just you and the Lord. This is a time to renew your life before him, to repent of some things to ask for help. Have you had a great temptation that you are dealing with? Have you prayed about that? Take a moment. Talk to the Lord.
Is your heart filled with anger towards someone today? Have you been convicted? Someone who crossed you, you need to forgive them. You need to go to them and ask them for forgiveness. Will you pray? Are you in the midst of a trial this morning? Have you felt like you are just buried in sorrow or difficulty and you feel alone? Reach out to the Lord. Ask, seek, knock. Heavenly Father, how much we need you. How great the trials that we face, and how greater still the temptation to believe that we don't need you. Forgive us, Lord. For those in the midst of great temptation this morning who feel like they can't break free, ask, I ask that they would persevere, that they would be persistent in prayer that they would not let you go until you bless them that they would seek you and find you as they seek with all their heart Lord deliver them in that way help them to see your rich bounty already available in Christ for those in anger this morning as we approach the Lord's Supper I pray that you would deliver them from that anger help them to know the reconciliation and the forgiveness that can come. Not because we are worthy, not because we have lived a spotless life, but because Jesus has, and yet took all of our anger and all of our wrath, and all of your wrath, God, on himself on the cross, and that we can be reconciled at the foot of the cross. I pray that you would reconcile people today, that they would not live in anger, that they would forsake anger, for those in the midst of sore trials who are feeling stretched or weighed down by sorrow. I pray that you would comfort them with your soothing words, that you would show them by your grace how great you are and how your purpose is, maybe even in saying no to some of their prayers right now, is so that you can deliver them into the good that you have for them. Lord, even in trials, help them to believe that you are good and give only good gifts. Lord, I pray for mercy for those who suffer today and that you would lift them up and help them to persist in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're going to take the bread in just a moment, but let me preface by telling you why. Whenever we take this piece of bread, it is a small reminder of the body of Jesus that was hung on the cross 
and sacrificed for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God. And all of our sin was poured out on him so that when Jesus celebrated this with his disciples on the night before he was arrested and betrayed and crucified, he encouraged his disciples by saying, take this and eat and do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that now. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that we can worship you and be included in the people of God because of your great love. Help us to sing and to prepare for sharing in the blood and sharing in the vine so that we remember our place. In Jesus' name, amen.